You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Folks, let me tell you something. Things haven't changed all of that much. You know, right from the very beginning of time to the present. You see, the devil has, for example, his teachers and his preachers, both in the religious and secular arenas, who pervert men's souls, while God's teachers proclaim the truth and bring healing to men's souls. And, you know, this follows through in just every facet of life. As Pastor Mike teaches about Enoch today, he points out the New Testament interestingly clarifies which Enoch is being spoken about. Pastor Mike explains that the beginning chapters of Genesis actually speak about two Enochs. One Enoch was the son of Cain. But the Bible tells us that the other Enoch walked with God. Pastor Mike insists that just like there were two Enochs, There are two kinds of teachers today. There are teachers who serve the devil, and there are teachers who walk with God. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 5 as he begins his message, The Man Who Walked With God. in Genesis chapter 5, and the text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 21 through 24. So Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, and this message, the title is, The Man Who Walked with God. And you know, that title should serve sort of as a hook to draw you into this very interesting character, whose name, a fellow whose name was Enoch. There were so many interesting things about this man, but the title of this message is not the most interesting thing about this man, because if you think about it, this title should apply to every person who has taken the name of Christ. It should be ordinarily said of each and every one of us who claim to be a Christian that we're walking with God. So that's not the most fascinating fact about this individual, right? But there are certainly some other things that we want to focus in on as it relates to this guy that is, that was more than just ordinary. But for us as Christians, you know, it should be said of all of us legitimately that we are walking with God, right? Isn't that a part of our Christian experience? Well, anyway, with that said, let's go ahead and read that text. So Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Now Enoch lived 65 years, and then he begot Methuselah. So the guy's 65 years old, and his wife gives birth to a son whose name was Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, 
Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay, so right in the middle of the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5, if you go through this chapter, if you've already read it in advance, we have all of these previous names that are recorded for us here in chapter 5, all of which, by the way, are descendants of Adam. But right in the middle of this list, this genealogy, we discover a very interesting man. And that brings us to our first point, a very interesting man whose name was Enoch. And more than anything else that we want to focus in on, he was someone who walked with God in an age when practically no one else did. And that's what makes this this man, this character, extremely interesting, someone worthwhile considering, emulating. Truly, he is an example of faith when it stands alone. Now, folks, let me tell you something. This is no little thing. I want you to consider, during the time in which Enoch lived, there were very few people who had a heart towards God, who would be able to legitimately claim they were someone who was walking with him. And throw this into the mix. Think about this. There was no encouragement from the other people around him within that culture as it relates to Enoch to encourage him to continue to walk with God or to know God or to obey God. There was no fellowship. The majority of the people already turned their backs upon God. You know, what a privileged group of people we are. You know, we come to church and our brothers and sisters are are here for us to encourage us, to strengthen us, to challenge us, to rebuke us if necessary. But we're all there alongside of one another to help, right? We're there for one another. That's what the church really is all about. But there was an absence of these things in Enoch's life. So faith in the midst of what was going on within that culture, listen, was no small thing. So when it was said of Enoch that he walked with God, this is something that certainly take note of. It was no little thing. There was no encouragement during those days within that culture, with, during that time. There was no fellowship. There were no churches. There were just a few people really in that sphere of Enoch's who had a heart towards God who would have encouraged him to go on in his relationship with him. And so this is no small thing. Now, some additional Enoch trivia before we go on and get into this text. There is more said in the New Testament concerning this man than there is recorded for us in the Old Testament, although he is an Old Testament character. There are five references in all of the Bible concerning this man. Twice he is mentioned in other lists of genealogies. I'll give you the cross-references in 1 Chronicles in chapter 1 and verse 3, and then a New Testament mention in a genealogy there in Luke's Gospel in chapter 3 and verse 37. So in both of those verses of Scripture, his name is listed. But those two references are of genealogies. Then the other three 
mentions of Enoch are, I think, more important passages of Scripture and fill in more of the details concerning this man's life. The first of which is here in Genesis chapter 5, but then the next one is recorded for us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 in verse 5. And I thought that this was significant, and I think we should consider it. It says, by faith, and by the way, this is the Hall of Faith chapter. This is the way that we refer to it. It has a list of all of the heroes of uh, both of the Old and the New Testament who have made this Hall of Faith chapter that serve up examples of faith for us, you know, to walk in their footsteps. Well, anyway, concerning Enoch, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So that's a pretty wonderful description of who this man was. This would be a great epitaph, by the way, to inscribe on any person's tombstone, right? He was someone who walked with God. He was someone who had faith in God. He was someone uh, actually, as it says there, pleased God. And we're going to come back to that thought in just a moment. Someone who pleased God. So that's the fourth mention of this man Enoch in the Old Testament. And then there's just one last one, and it's found in the book of Jude in verses 14 and 15. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude. So in verses 14 and 15 in the book of Jude, we read, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. This is interesting, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. So this is what Enoch was involved in. This was a part of his occupation during the time in which we are reading about here in the book of Genesis. He was someone who prophesied. Obviously, he had a prophetical ministry. He was a prophet, or at least he was considered a prophet. And then in verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all godly sinners, has spoken against him. Okay, now, I want to come back to that phrase that he was the seventh from Adam. Notice there in the book of Jude, the seventh from Adam. Now, I find this to be very curious. If you're a student of the Bible, and these are things that you should be looking for when you read the Bible, there's something very curious here. When it mentions that this fellow Enoch was the seventh descendant from Adam, I find this to be odd. You say, how's that? Well, there is no descendant given for any other biblical character throughout the Bible. So, you know, that should make you stand up and take note. And that raises the question in my mind, well, then why is that? And the answer to that question is, and this is the reason why I think that this is significant, there were two Enochs who lived at the same time. And therefore, God didn't want us to make any mistakes concerning this man that's being recommended to us here in our text of Scripture, because one of the Enochs was good, and that's the fellow that we're focusing in on, and the other Enoch was bad. So God, it seems, is differentiating between the two, or rather I should say he's using Jude to differentiate between the two. The other Enoch, the bad Enoch, 
was the third descendant from Adam through Cain. Go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 4 and verse 17. What do we read there? In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. This is not the same Enoch that we're considering. This is a different Enoch. And he built the city and called the name of the city after the name of his son. The city was named Enoch. So Jude distinguishes between the two. The other Enoch, the bad Enoch, was Cain's son, presumably trained by Cain, who remember, in one of our previous studies, we discover that he killed his brother Abel. He participated, that is, the bad Enoch, participated in the same spirit, the same rebellion as did his father Cain. And then also his name was given to the first city, which was called Enoch, which history tells us was a very extremely wicked city. You see, his descendants were wicked. And in time they produced Lamech, if you continue to follow the genealogies here in this section of the book of Genesis, the seventh in Cain's line, who boasted in being a murderer. You know, he, he delighted in the idea that he had murdered someone, which just goes to show you the wickedness of this man. Notice in chapter 4 and verse 23, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. So he's boasting in this. You know, rather than feeling guilty about it or, you know, lamenting over what had taken place, you know, he's boasting to his two wives concerning this terrible act. So in contrast, we have God's Enoch who walked with God and preached righteousness. Do you see the difference between the two? So what's going on here? Well, think about it. I think what God is saying here is I have my people, I have my agents, and the devil has his. And folks, let me tell you something. Things haven't changed all of that much. You know, right from the very beginning of time to the present. You see, the devil has, for example, his teachers and his preachers, both in the religious and secular arenas, who pervert men's souls, while God's teachers proclaim the truth and bring healing to men's souls. And, you know, this follows through in just every facet of life and experience. Men and women, for example, and I'm not coming down on women here or anything, but just this happened to be the example that I chose to use. The devil has his housewives who gossip, who flirt, who commit adultery, while God's housewives establish godly homes and raise their children in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his love. You see, God has his own people as well as does the devil, their agents. But anyway, it's all about those who go their own way. It's all about sin and bearing the consequences versus those who obey God and bring him glory, and thus their lives are rich. Their lives are blessed. They receive 
God's best in obeying God and walking with him. Listen, gang, follow God's Enoch, one in whose life God brought blessing. So anyway, that's our first point. That's who this guy is, Enoch. There were two Enochs. Make no mistake about that. We want to differentiate between the two. Now, this brings us to our second point. Also, the second thing that we know about Enoch, as we put all of those five references alongside of one another, Enoch was someone who is a preacher of righteousness. Let's go back to the book of Jude in verses 14 and 15. Okay, so this is the conclusion that we come to as it relates to this man, what this man was all about. He was a preacher of righteousness. Notice there in verses 14 and 15. We are told that his proclamation of the things that he was broadcasting during this time in which he lived, his proclamation was all about Christ's coming back for his people. And also his message included a denunciation of evil that was all too visible in the degenerate culture of his day. You see that there in those two verses of Scripture? Basically, if you break those two verses down, it gives you the sum total of the message that he broadcast, the message that he had declared. Basically, Christ's second coming to execute judgment upon ungodly deeds of men and women. Now, I want you to think about that in contrast to what's being preached today, for the most part, by so-called preachers and teachers and pastors, right, who more emphasize the idea of a blanket salvation. Like God is a God of love, and yes, he is a God of love, but they forget that he's also a God of judgment. So they preach this blanket salvation gospel. You know, God loves everyone, and, you know, God wouldn't cause a person to go to hell, or God isn't judgmental, or there is no retribution. There's never going to come a day when you're going to have to stand before God and give an account. So the idea of blanket salvation or a new age, that's also become a popular theme within the churches today. The idea that, you know, we're moving towards a time of great enlightenment. You know, we're all going to eventually, you know, come around and, and we're going to be the kinds of people that God wants us to become because after all, we're evolving, right? It's a new age. The age of Aquarius kind of a thing. We, we know how the age of Aquarius played out. Everybody, you know, freaked out on acid back during those days. Some of those people aren't with us any longer. They graduated from LSD to heroin and are now dead, right? Oh, yes, the age of enlightenment, the age of Aquarius, right? Man, we, got, we sure got duped on that one, boy. The devil had a, a heyday during that particular period of time. You know, people who are, who are waiting for... God to come back and think that there's not going to be any final retribution or, or judgment or that they're not going to have to give an account are under some kind of a delusion. In the prophet Amos, in chapter 5, in verses 18 and 19, he says, woe to you. So, that, you know, basically, and unfortunately, the, a lot of pastors and teachers are setting their people up for this sort of thing. And about, oh yeah, we can't wait for the Lord to come back and we're going to move into that new era and that new age. And, but man, you know what? If you're not prepared and you're not ready, it's going to be a dreadful day. 
It's not going to be a day of rejoicing and great expectation and hope. It'll be, in fact, just the opposite. So notice what Amos says here. He says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. So here's a group of people who are just, you know, desiring the day of the Lord, but they're not prepared for it. They're under a great delusion, right? And they're not considering the idea of a day of judgment when the Lord comes back, which is the case. If we don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior. So he says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? That is, if you're not prepared for it, it will be darkness and not light. And then he goes on. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. How about that? Right? The lion's coming in one direction. So you're thinking, oh, man, I got to run. I got to get out of here. And you're running. And as you're running, guess what's coming in the, in the same <laughs> A bear. So you got away from the lion, but you're going to meet the bear. Or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Not a good scenario, folks, right? But that's what the unprepared has to look forward to. Folks, yes, God is a God of mercy. He is a God of love. But he is also a God of judgment. A judgment upon all who walk in the way of Cain, unless, that is, they repent and come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're not prepared, the coming of the Lord a second time will be a terrible day. That is, a terrible day for the ungodly. Notice, go back to Jude. We're going to come back to it several times. But in verse 15, in one verse, notice the word ungodly is used no less than four times. So, you know, I mean, he's going for it here, Enoch, right? He's crying out against sin, crying out against the ungodly. The ungodly, the ungodly, what does it say there? To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among, all, among them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners has spoken against him. Man, Enoch is not holding back. He's in their face, man. He's preaching it like it is. He's crying out against unrighteousness. You see that there? Crying out against sin. You know, and in contrast, I want you to think about this as it relates to today's preachers. And I'm not suggesting that all preachers. I mean, there's some great churches right here in our own city with some great teachers, with some great pastors, with some great preachers. But, you know, there's unfortunately also many preachers who mostly preach on the subjects of love, who mostly preach on the subject of prosperity, who mostly speak on the subject of, boy, this is one that has become real popular lately, tolerance. Oh, we need to tolerate everybody. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then... God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.